Listener Production. I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to their ancestors past and elders present. I acknowledge that the First Nations across the continent have never ceded sovereignty and that the First Nations are the first lawmakers. Hello, it's MC from Black Matters here. Now, with the referendum on The Voice literally almost here, we wanted to bring you a special two-part episode as a conversation. This episode with Stan is powerful, insightful, honest, and really emotional. Now, if you're listening to this episode first, we do implore you to go back and listen to part one first, you know, just so it makes sense. Otherwise, here's the second half of our chat with the one and only Stan Grant. The problem with what is going to happen this weekend and pending the result, what happens after this weekend, because there isn't that intimacy that you Mm. speak of between First Nations people and non-Indigenous people, the vast majority of the people that are casting their votes that will ultimately decide the result of this referendum are basing their decision not on intimacy, not on relationships, not with any lived history or personal knowledge of First Nations people in Australia, but the noise that you talk about yeah, the noise. that surrounds them. And sadly, that is what the majority of people are basing what they believe First Nations people are and therefore the, de- the decision that they're going to make. And sometimes you just want to quieten the noise. I think a lot of people just want it over. I think it's very confronting. I mean, this is referendums are always hard, as we know, and mm-hmm. they're, they're very difficult to succeed and very, very few do. This is also the first referendum of a 24-7 news cycle and social media. Mm. And that's elevated, amplified the noise. And I think for a lot of people, when you add questions, uncomfortable questions of history and race, these are things that, you you know, they're they're barbecue stoppers. Mm -hmm. If you want to stop a party, talk about racism or talk about history. No one wants to go there. And we've got a referendum that that lands right at that point of, of... of history and race and politics amplified by a 24-7 news media and a toxic social media. Weaponised by 24-7 news coverage. And then people just want to turn it down. They just want to get away. I think the sad thing too is that democracy should be robust. It should be tough. You know, the alternative to democracy is people kill each other. And I would rather we, I would rather we debate vigorously then we pull out guns. And so democracy needs to be a clearinghouse. It needs to be the place where you contest ideas. And there are many ideas to contest around the voice. Amongst Aboriginal people, there are different points of view. I've had discussions with people who are friends of mine who are going to vote no, who will still be friends of mine the next day because our relationship is stronger than those differences. I respect their point of view and I disagree with it but I respect because it comes from a, in these cases, a classically liberal idea of liberalism as a neutral space where no, no rights are afforded to any one particular group and it's based on an individual relationship to the nation and to law. And I respect that ideologically and philosophically. I disagree with it and I think it doesn't hold, but I respect that. But that's not the debate we've been having. No. I was called up. <laughs> before I went overseas from a journalist wanting my comment about an article being written about the colour of my skin. Someone in the No campaign questioning the colour of my skin and 
this is what we're platforming? Mm. Yeah. Racism? Yeah. You know, this sort of hurtful ugliness? And unfortunately, there's been far too much of that and far too little of the genuine public debate we should have had. As you're talking, I feel like my mind gets a lot clearer hearing you explain a lot of things. But as you were speaking, I reflected upon something we've spoken about before. This concept of us on this continent being the oldest surviving Mm. peoples on the planet, but also grappling with the question, are we the forgotten peoples? Mm. Mm. Well, we're certainly, I agree with Noel Pearson in this, in his Boyer lectures, the unloved people. Mm. And again, love like intimacy is essential for democracy. Mm. You can't have democracy without love. You can't have it. You know, it's the it's the love that heals the wounds in our democracy. And I think it's fair to say and sad to say that because of the lack of intimacy and because of the lack of friendship, because we haven't truly met, there is a lack of love. And if I reflect on the plebiscite for marriage equality, there was an outpouring of love. People just realised that this was the wrong thing to do because this is our children and our brothers Mm. and sisters and uncles and aunties and we know people and there is a love for people. There's been so little love in this debate and unfortunately when we live in a country where we die 10 years younger, where we have the most you know, we are the most imprisoned people in the country, proportionally the world, where we have the worst socioeconomic outcomes and that Australia can walk past this year after year after year comfortably. Go to Mm -hmm. the beach, tell yourself you're a good country and walk past this suffering. It indicates an absence of love. It's easy to forget when you have no love Mm -hmm. for someone. This concept you spoke about in your Charles Darwin lecture, and I have heard you previously talk about this, mm. our suffering is so status quo in this country. Mm. It's factored in. It's factored in. Mm. And it's hard to kind of explain to people, I guess, as well, when we have had opportunities that loved ones very close to yeah. us yeah. are living a completely different like live or outcomes. Well, we become exceptionalised. And we become exceptionalised. And you spoke about this trauma trapped mm. in time. And we've got some of the audio from that now. Trauma is the cold hand of fate. Political scientist Jenny Edkins says trauma has its own time. It breaks from the linear time of politics. The clock stops ticking. Trauma time is a time of betrayal. It is not just that something catastrophic has happened, it is that trust is broken. Did you want to just unpack that a bit for us? It it really came from a a poem that I read by David Maljali, who uh, passed away, who was uh, known as the Bush Professor. He was a poet, painter, artist, story man, extraordinary character, And he wrote this poem that I I, I stumbled across and I've never forgotten it. And the the lines in it that really spoke to me were, once I was past and future, now I'm only present today. And that's hard to bear with no past, no future. And I've been haunted by that 
ever since I read it because the sadness in it, the loss of your place in the universe, the choice of words, once I was past and future. He wasn't saying once I had a past and a future. I was past and future. I inhabited spaces. I belonged to a continuum, Aboriginal time of permanence, Mm -hmm. and that's gone. And now all you've left me with is today, now. Metaphorically and metaphysically what he was talking about was the trauma site of, of time, where time stops at 1770 or at 1788. It put me in mind of a, a something else I'd read by an American Indian chief, Chief Plentycu from the Crow Indian people, who before he died said, when, my, when the buffalo died, my people's hearts fell to the ground and we could not lift them up again. After that, nothing happened. Nothing happened. They were still alive. Time passed, but all meaning was gone. Nothing happened. It is hard to bear with no past, no future. It really spoke to me about that idea of trauma and what it does to you, and it jars with the liberal political notion, as in small L, political liberalism, of neutrality, that we just move on, of the progress of time, Mm. the ticking clock of time, industrialised time, the callousness of that time that says your trauma is something to move on from rather than something that should be fundamentally meaningful. And then then I had to confront the question, are we trapped forever in that Mm. moment of trauma? And of course, that's not healthy either. So what do we do? We don't move on, but we bring new meaning to the moment of trauma. When the clock stops, we tell new stories. We bring new meaning to it. So I, I, I really wanted to sort of contemplate that. It was, it was a really powerful idea for me. So much so that after having thought about it, and it touches on everything, it touches on, on science and quantum physics, where in quantum physics there is no idea of time as we know it. <laughs> You know, everything, our very idea of reality is turned on its head. It touches on religion and relationship to God. What does God say? You know, I am Alpha and Omega. I am beginning and end. Well, that's like Maljali saying, once I was past and future. You can see once you get into this, you can see where it leads. And so much so that I'm I'm going to write a book about this. And it led me thinking to um, even the notion of music. And I began my lecture talking about music. And I particularly gravitated to John Coltrane, um, the jazz saxophonist, who obliterated time. And he said, when it comes to music, I start in the, it's like I start in the middle of a sentence and I go both ways at once. <laughs> and that's what he did. But I had a dream. And uh, well, it wasn't even a dream. It was like a, a visit, like, a, like speaking to me. And John Coltrane said to me, follow my music and I'll lead you to the heartbeat of God. That's what he said to me. It's what he said to me. And I began my lecture with that. And so much so that I'm going to write a book about time now. Yeah. And with all of that and kind of these notions of trauma trapped in time with I feel like the upheaval of the world right now, yeah. when you narrow in on Australia, when you look around the rest of the globe, the Middle East, and you know, one of the final questions that I have personally is, are we a nation capable of healing? You know, I think, I think I've even moved on from the idea of healing as a therapeutic notion. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the risk is 
even in the memorialization, even in the truth-telling, we can, in fact, sacrifice memory to the tyranny of time. So what you do in the truth-telling moment, or in the memorial, or in the, the, the pond, or the garden, or the things that we build to reflect on these terrible things of history. And you've said truth-telling is uh, an agent of the state, essentially. It's an, it becomes an agent of the state. becomes part of a state narrative. Mm-hmm. The state takes your, your pain and your trauma and it turns it into a narrative that essentially, again, is captured by political time, the imperative to move on, the sorry and then the forgiveness. Yep. But the forgiveness, we know, must also come with the atonement, mm-hmm. at one moment. You know, when you break down atonement at one moment, to bring us back to one where there has been this coming apart. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm cautious about therapeutic notions of time. I'm cautious about political acts of healing mm-hmm. because they don't do honour and service to the memory and the trauma itself that needs to be inhabited and encircled and become part of who we are rather than something we seek to move on from. Mm. On the last episode of the podcast, we were joined by Narelda Jacobs. We asked her this question. We're going to ask you the same Mm. question as well. To the person that, for whatever reason, hasn't been caught up in the noise Mm. and they're not sure which way they're going to lean. And again, we're not here to to tell them whether to vote yes or vote no. That's that's for every person before they tick that box. But to that person thinking about the decision they're going to make and how they're going to vote, what would you what would you say to them? I would say to them to think on kindness. I don't think there are political answers to what our people have been through. I don't think there is enough justice in the world for the crimes that we've committed against each other. What are we left with? We're left with love and kindness. That's what we are left with. You know, I was in France and I, I, when I was in Europe and I went to the, uh, the Louvre, as I always do, because it's a beautiful museum, and just to walk through those paintings and look at the, the brutality of history, the Napoleonic paintings, the slaughter of people. And then amongst the paintings was this boat that was tossed on the seas and it was people just cast adrift and we've all been cast adrift. Mm-hmm. I thought about Edouard Glissant, who is uh, from Martinique, a poet and philosopher, he talked about the poetics of relation. This is a man who's, whose ancestors were enslaved. And he said, we sail our boats for everyone. And we do sail our boats for everyone. We've all been led here, whatever led us here. I have the blood of black and white in my veins. My ancestors don't rest easily in this land. We're all here. We've all been cast adrift. What's left? If history is a slaughterhouse... What's left? Kindness. I would just say, think on kindness and let kindness be your guide, not politics. And cast your vote on what you believe the kindest thing to do is. Now, at the end of every episode here at Black Matters, we like to share a First Nations word because we also believe that language matters. And and Stan, you've got a Wiradjuri word that you'd like to leave us with. Gawayu. Gawayu. Gawayu, which is to not even say goodbye. It's the timeless word of... See you later. It's the timeless word of I'll always be here. And whenever I say goodbye to mum and dad, we don't say goodbye. We always say gawayu 
because even when they're no longer there, they will always be here. And that is timeless. Timeless, yeah. It has been an honour. It has been a pleasure. I managed to keep my emotions in check. You didn't make me cry for a third time. Stan Grant, thank, thank you, you so much it's for coming on Black thank Matters you. this week. Guys, this weekend, it's finally here. Australia votes on The Voice this Saturday. Just make sure your vote counts. As you said, whichever way you vote, make sure you do it with love and just do your research. Don't, mm. I don't know, vote no. That, that's not going to cut the mustard. That's not going to help anyone. Uh, there is information out there. We'll add the link in the show notes as well to The Conversation, which is a site which features a lot of facts that are checked, information, explainers, it's all there. And join us next week. I mean, whew, oh my gosh. we don't know what's going to happen next week. It could be absolutely anything, but we'll be sure to break down what happened over the weekend what the next steps will be, what kind of Australia we will have this time next well, week. Well, we I think out. we do know that, you know, from here on and for the rest of time, we show up with love mm-hmm. and love for our people and our country and this place. No matter what, we can stand strong in all of the amazing guests that have shared their stories with us and an insight into their lives. Mm-hmm. And that, that, I think, is a genuine gift from so many First Nations peoples and I have these yarns um, with you, Michael, mm-hmm. you know, as a white fella, black fella, both of us raised in the same town, like what a moment that this nation is now getting to and we hope that we can move forward. Exactly. We cross fingers. Stan, thank you again for joining us. We'll see you next week on Black Matters. Oh, oh, oh.